This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hello and welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm your host, Emma Benner, and today I'm sharing episode 59 with Michael and Tempa Kohler. Michael and Tempa are the co-founders of the nonprofit organization, Special Needs and Treats, which is a nonprofit specialty goods company based in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Michael and Tempa started dreaming up creating this organization when their son Bradley, who was born with Fragile X Syndrome, was 22 years old, aging out of the county supported programs, and they were trying to find him a job. They started to realize that there weren't many options, so they created their own thing. And in 2014, they officially opened the doors at Special Needs and Treats, where they provide employment and training to adults with special needs while selling sweet treats such as cookies, cakes, cupcakes, and all those fun things at their storefront. And they also cater for birthdays, weddings, baby showers, anniversaries. You name the party or celebration and they'll be there. They also have a program called Cakes for Kiddos where they provide cakes to children, special needs individuals, and elderly who cannot afford a birthday cake. They do it all over there at Special Needs and Treats and it was really fun for me to sit down and talk with Michael and Tempa about starting Special Needs and Treats, the behind the scenes of the organization, their goals for the organization going forward, why they think that everyone should employ people with special needs, the challenges that they faced with the bakery during COVID, and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Michael and Tempa about their incredible organization and all that they're doing for their community. All right, today on the podcast, I have Michael and Tempa Kohler. Welcome to the show, Michael and Tempa. Thank you. Thanks. To get it started, I want to hear just a little background on the both of you. Can each of you share just a little bit about yourselves, maybe what you did for work previously, what you're doing now, and things like that? Okay. With me, I've done um, several different things. I have always had the love of cake decorating. I started that when I was about seven. Um, I have held many jobs. I've worked for the IRS. Um, I've worked for the post office. I worked for a photography company. I've driven a special needs school bus. And all of that has led to now us, you know, co-founding um, the nonprofit. And um, there I do cake decorating. Um, we do training. I do some baking. Just a little bit of everything. And, uh, yeah, I spent most part of my career in, you know, construction equipment, compact construction equipment, industrial equipment, working everything from I started early on as a delivery driver, then warehousing, inventory control, parts counter, uh, logistics, operations management, um, all the way up to from a dealership level up to a original equipment manufacturing level 
to where we actually supplied dealers all across the country. And when I left that, that's when we actually co-founded the nonprofit uh, back in 2014 and utilized, I guess, my skill sets of logistics, budgeting, customer service, marketing, etc., cetera, uh, with everything that I had learned to run the business side of things here at the uh, nonprofit. And then you two have been married for quite some time. So how did you two meet? <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we actually went to kindergarten together, um, which is kind of funny, and then didn't actually go to school together until the 10th grade. Uh, we met in high school. I uh, met in the lunchroom, actually, and uh, yeah, we were married at 17. We've been together 36 years this December. There's a long story there, so lots of, lots of uh, fun stuff. Yeah, that's a long time together. Congrats on a very long and successful marriage so far. Thank you. Thank you. And then you two have two kids together, right? Let's hear a little bit about both of them. We have uh, our oldest child is Ashley. Um this year, she's 35. Um, she'll be 36 here in, in April, uh, coming up in, I guess it's still several months, but uh, she was uh, born in 1985, and now she has three children. We have two grandchildren through her to, that are boys, and then a granddaughter. Uh, they are nine, seven for the boys and then two years old for the granddaughter that she said she was done with children, and we kept praying for a little girl. And uh, along came our, our granddaughter. So we have three great-grandchildren, you know, great not actual great-grandchildren. We call them great because <laughs> our grandkids are still 9, 7, and 2. Um, but she, uh, she went to school for some nursing for a short time. She's now a realtor. Uh, her husband, Brent, uh, is... Uh, a lineman for power companies, so he does a fairly dangerous job and travels all over the country. Uh, like right now, there's major storms in the U.S., and he's out on storm duty. And then five years later, in 1990, our son Bradley was born, and I'll let Temple talk a little bit about Brad. Um, you know, he was born, um, both of, both of the kids were born, you know, pretty much, you know, to term. Um, nothing really odd or anything about any of the, either pregnancy. Um, so when Bradley was born and they handed him to me, um, he just did not seem the same as what Ashley did when she was born five years prior. And they always say you're not supposed to compare your children. And I wasn't really comparing, but I just knew the minute that they handed him to me that there was just something not quite right. Um, and it took us until the age of seven to find out a diagnosis on him. And... Um, it's, it's not that you really want that diagnosis, but it definitely helps in the school system as far as them knowing where to um, place them as far as classrooms and different services that um, they can get. So it did take us a very long time to get that, and we had probably seen close to 100 doctors up until that time. But he was delayed pretty much in everything compared to what she was. So I just, like I said, I just always knew there was something. And I was ready to take him to the Mayo Clinic because Mike and I had just kind of, you know, we're just like, we don't know what else to do. And we still had one appointment left. We um, originally are from Missouri. And so we had a doctor's appointment at one of the children's hospitals there. And I said, well, let's go ahead and keep this appointment. 
And then if we can't find something out, then, you know, we're going to try to find about about the Mayo Clinic. And when I walked into the lady's office, the doctor, she actually had a plaque hanging on her wall that she had graduated from the Mayo Clinic. And I just thought that was very interesting. And she's the one who helped us find the diagnosis of Bradley, which he has fragile X syndrome. It is a genetic disorder that falls on the X chromosome, and it can cause anywhere from mild to severe mental impairment. And Bradley's in the mild to moderate range, um, depending upon what you're talking about. Um, but he is a social butterfly. He loves people, um, and everybody that meets him, they definitely remember him. And what were some of the challenges with Bradley when growing up that may have been different than with your daughter? In the in the beginning years, up until he was seven, and we knew kind of what we were dealing with. Uh, he never really talked much. He uh, he was always a happy kid, laugh, and you know. But everywhere we would go, he would scream and make noises. You know, just that was his way of, I guess, communicating, so to speak. Which we now know that you know it was just too much sensory input for him. So the biggest challenge in the beginnings were just communication. Um, they told us he'd never talk. Uh, now he talks all the time. Um, so we even started some sign language early on. Uh, we put him in like childhood, early childhood development stuff and different pre-K stuff. It didn't quite fit in with regular classroom settings. You know, he was fortunate to have a, a sister five years older who would look out for him and take care of him because, you know, even at like daycare or something like that, he he'd get picked on some because he just, he'd do whatever they were telling him to do and just, you know, being happy and laughing. They'd laugh at him, so he'd laugh. But as far as, you know, growing up and on through, it, you know, it developed, once we, we knew his diagnosis, we looked into that and we went to uh, the Fragile X Foundation in, in Denver and spent a week there where they did a lot of tests. They told us about a lot of different things we could do and how we could try and help him and how we could better understand what his needs were. And then as he started progressing, it was more of the cognitive type stuff. You know, so for example, you know, he didn't know how to lick an ice cream cone. He still doesn't know how to lick an ice cream cone. Uh, doesn't know how to really jump. Um, his brain doesn't know how to tell his body to do those certain things. And, you know, like counting or he has a lot of sight words. And now that he's 30, almost to be 31 in February, I mean, he's got a pretty extensive vocabulary, but it's uh, it's been over time. So the challenges were just mainly on us, determine you know, figuring out how we needed to interact and how we needed to you know deal with helping him, uh, helping him to progress, getting him in the right things. And I mean, it took a long time. Uh, we we were young when we got married, so even at the time he was born, we were just 22. And, you know, 22 with a special needs kid, um, and then up till 29, till you know what his true diagnosis was, um, you know, it was a challenge, stressful times, you know, like, like all families, you go through highs and lows and things like that. But, you know, he never seemed to be challenged himself. He'd get frustrated about certain things, not being able to do things. But like I say, he's always been very happy. Um very outgoing, uh, really cares about everybody and their feelings. And, you know, so it's, uh, it's helped us become better people you know, with patience and, you know, just, uh, just the things we learned from him, how to look at things differently, how to react differently, 
thinking outside the box, uh, looking at, you know, more literal, you know, for example, with what we do now, which we'll probably get into, you know, some of the instructions that we give folks is like, yes, you did exactly what I said. I should have expanded on what I told you to do. <laughs> so I'd say the biggest challenges was just the, the trying to understand and how to work with a child with special needs. Yeah, that had to have been really stressful. And like you say, adding on being so young must have been just a wild ride, but worth it completely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And then what are some of the biggest things that maybe you've learned from from Bradley or just being in the special needs community or anything like that? Well, definitely you um, you do gain a lot of patience because it's it's very easy just to say, well, just let me do it. Just, you know, I'll take care of it. Um, it's just easier if I do it. But I mean, you can't react that way because you have to give them a chance. And they're, the main thing is, and with all people, but I think, you know, the human race doesn't really look at it this way. Everybody has a different way of learning. Um, you know, some people are visual, some people, you know, have to be told, some people have to be shown, some people have to have all the above. And you have to take the time with somebody to to figure out what it is that they need to help them learn. And I think most people just do not have the patience for that. They just, they don't want to deal with it. They don't want, you know, they just would just rather move on. Um, because our special needs adults that we work with, the whole special needs community, they have so much to offer if someone would just give them that time and that patience and the chance. Um, Cause Bradley, you know, he used to play special needs baseball too. Mike was in charge of that at one point, And we had 208 families of kids with special needs and even playing baseball. Each one of them had to have something different in order for them to play the game. But all they wanted to do was play the game. And as long as you could help them with that, I mean, they had a blast. But, you know, if you didn't give them that time, then they weren't going to enjoy it. So... I think the biggest thing is patience and understanding. Okay, so next in your story, you you start the Special Needs and Treats Bakery. Can you tell that story of how that got started? Yeah, it, um, like Tempa said earlier, we had 208, I had 208 ball players playing baseball. And the conversation around the ball field by every parent was, what am I going to do when my kid turns 22 and ages out of county programs? You know, for example, here, um, they, don't, they can graduate at 22, which is considered extended high school, uh, with a, you know, IEP-driven diploma or, or something of that nature. And, and the, the general consensus was always, what are we going to do with our child? You know, what are they going to do? I don't want them sitting on the couch, staying at home. There's not a lot of job opportunities. And as Tempa mentioned in the intro, uh, she's been decorating cakes and loving to do cakes since she was a child so you know her god-given talents and and passion and skill for that we we kind of looked at why don't we open a bakery and you and bradley can work there and i'll stay in corporate and i'll help on the mornings and the evenings and the weekends and we'll just kind of do that it was more selfish in the beginning um not looking at a nonprofit. it was just looking at something for bradley to do and then as those conversations molded and as we looked around and even though my last name is Kohler, 
it's not coal or plumbing or coal or engines. So we weren't independently wealthy, um, you know, just regular folks working, uh, but having a special needs kid. And, and we said, you know, well, you know, how can we do this? And I don't want to steal, you know, what Tempa might say, but she, she saw something, you know, long story short about a, a child that was at a food co-op and she can expand on it if you'd like. You want to talk about it? Yeah, I was I was at home one day, um, and I, I I never like to say it because I can't remember, but I think I was watching Oprah, and I think she was interviewing a mom who was now receiving services from a food co-op, and she used to donate to this food co-op. She was married and had a good job, and she got a divorce. She lost her job, and so her, her and her two kids were living in this homeless shelter, and receiving services from them and the food co-op and the reporter found out that it was the little boy's birthday and said well what do you want for your birthday and of course I'm thinking in my mind he's gonna say a bike or a Nintendo or something like that and he said all I want is a birthday cake yeah, and at that point God pierced my heart and he said you can do that and I remember saying I can do that yes I can do that and then I'm like well how do I do that how do I bake cakes and give them away for free? Who I don't even know who to contact or, or who to talk to or how do you get that done? Um, but that's where, for me, the nonprofit piece came into play. And I'm like, you know, if we went that route with it, then we're going to get lots of support. We're going to get lots of money. <laughs> and um, But then I'm going to have Bradley help me to do that. But then why can't we have other special needs adults also help us do that? Because there's so many of them sitting at home doing nothing. So it was kind of a, a twofold type thing. I'm like, well, this is awesome. I'll just have special needs working there, and um, we're going to give away all these free cakes, and we're going to get all this money from people because they're going to donate. Some of that is definitely not true. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's pretty much how it, it came to you know that portion. We started checking into how do we how do we go about starting a nonprofit? I'd always been for profit. My job was always to make people more money. The more money I made, my bosses, the the fancier cars, the nicer houses, the bigger vacations, the the bigger 401ks they had, and um, I in turn, you know, made more money. So it was a whole different animal as we looked at uh, the the nonprofit piece, and then figuring out, oh, you know what, we can we can make it a a training, education, and employment process too, because the goal was actually to get special needs paid. There's a lot of programs, day programs, work programs, and things that parents can pay for uh, for their kids. But as far as a meaningful, you know, sense of empowerment, sense of pride, and collecting a little paycheck um, to go along with it, there's there's you know plenty of opportunities for maybe some higher functioning special needs. But when you've got a lot of folks that are uh, nonverbal, in a wheelchair or walker, limited motor skills, might need a parapro or job coach for a lot of things, and just have a lower capacity, there's not a lot of opportunities out there in a for-profit world. You know, people looking at the bottom line more than anything else, rather than giving a sector of the population that wants to work um, an opportunity. And uh, just a real quick interjection. Uh, it was actually seven years ago today, or sorry, yesterday, that we got our letter 
from the IRS stating that we had been approved as a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And that was before we actually opened brick and mortar uh, in January of 2014. It was September of 2013 when we actually got the 501c3 status. So that's kind of how it, it came to be that we went down the 501c3 nonprofit road and looked at, you know, how can we help two different groups that are considered in some cases less fortunate or with less fewer opportunities to where the cakes for kiddos came to be um, and then getting special needs to help us with every aspect of that whether it's washing dishes folding boxes folding laundry stickering product assistant bakers decorators uh, front of house clerks um, customer service and even now you know answering phones doing computer work so it's really expanded and the name was really cool of how we came up with special needs and treats as a play on words as Tempo woke up one morning and said, you know, I know what we should name the, the nonprofit special needs and treats special needs, meaning special needs adults, but using K and E ADS like kneading dough, even though we don't make breads, but it gets you that idea of baking. So that's kind of, that's kind of what got everything started. Of course it was, our son born many years prior with a special need and then my interactions through him in working with other families with special needs children, having those same conversations of what are our kids going to do when they grow up and they're not a high functioning special need. They're not geared for doing a lot of the jobs in the day to day market. Yeah, you're an uh, organization's name is one of the best I've come across. I love it. I think na the naming process is so hard. So I was going to ask you how you came up with that because it's really simple once you look at it, but just really creative and just so unique too. I, I truly have to say, I mean, I went to bed one night and I woke up the next morning and it was there. And I, I truly believe that God gave me that name. I, I didn't, see it anywhere. Um, no one mentioned anything to me. I just really felt it came to me from him. Very cool. And it's turned into just such a fun venture too. the way you two have taken it. And like you said, worked with two different groups, helping people that can't afford cakes. And then um, with you called it the cakes for kids. And then really employing all these individuals with special needs and helping that population is really cool to see. Um, so it sounds like the process was a little bit challenging with putting the nonprofit together and finding the right resources. It took, it sounds like it took some time, which I'm sure every business or nonprofit does. Um, I've never really been inside that process, so I'm sure it takes a while always, but who were some of the instrumental people in helping get it started or maybe some of the really important pieces that helped you get moving with it? There's there's several that come to mind. Um, I'll kind of start back in the beginning. In the beginning, we tried to do it ourselves. I'm one of those type of people that I, I, I like to dive in and figure it out. And I'm pretty good with numbers and different things like that. But, you know, had tried and tried and then, you know, read about someone that, you know, contacted them. They said, hey, for X number of dollars, we guarantee you will have your 501c3 status inside of, was it 90 days? Uh, inside of 90 days or you'll get all your money back and we uh we we were kind of like well we don't have that kind of money um but we decided that we would take the the, the step of faith um put the money forward and sure enough it happened but i'd say the the 
in the beginning, the most influential thing was we we had decided through our church to finally join a couples group. We had done individual groups, like I'd done men's groups, she'd done women's groups, but we had never actually joined a couples group. We were joined a couples group at church, and we were just kind of sharing what we felt God had laid on our hearts and through prayer and met with a family who still supports us to this day. And as a matter of fact, one of the gentlemen, the gentleman's on my board of directors now, but that family um, was our first seed money. Um, they gave us $10,000 as our very first seed money, stating that uh, you guys have a wonderful idea. We believe in it. We want to be a part of it. And, you know, we want to see how it, how it comes to fruition. And through that, <clears throat> and then opening up, that family, the extended family got involved, and then some of their businesses got involved, and, and then their friends and their networking circles. So it... Uh, I have to say that church small group changed our lives and changed the tra trajectory. That's how God used it to help us get this rolling. Um, so influential, you know, we don't like to name drop and they like to, you know, they're kind of like the don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing, but uh, it can be found on through our website and through all kinds of different things. But there's a one special family and their businesses that have been probably our largest supporter by far. Um, even to this day. And then along the way, just our community. The, we, we have received so much support from so many businesses, uh, individuals, families in the area that, that figure out what we're doing, the special needs sector. Um, a lot of people don't realize we have a Cakes for Kiddos program because they say, oh, you work with special needs adults and you give them a chance. I want to get involved. And then they find out that part of that is to provide cakes who can't afford birth cakes to kids who can't afford them. They're kind of like, wow, that's even, even greater. Um, so I guess as far as the influences back to your original question, you know, it was, uh, in the beginning it was, um, utilizing professionals, uh, people who know what they're doing. That was when we finally made that choice, you know, things were easier, uh, but also sharing with, with other folks that bought into the passion, for lack of a better term, bought into the program. And I don't like the term bought into, but realized that it was something that we were, we were placing bigger than ourselves. Uh, I think when people saw that we determined we, you know, we blew out my 401k to get the assets, to get things started. And we showed everybody that we were all in, um, that there was no turning back, jumped off the cliff, no parachute, no idea how, how deep it was. And just that, that passion, that drive, that leap of faith bled over into our community that it was just embraced. And wow, it's, it, <laughs> It's been an amazing journey, uh, of course, with its peaks and valleys. You know, there was a time at about the three or four year mark where we thought we were going to have to close the doors. And then our board of directors came together and said, no, we haven't done our part. Let's 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 get behind this thing and let's make things roll. So it's um, it's been great. And, you know, with the recent I'm sure we'll get to that, too. I don't want to get ahead of you, but, you know, with COVID this year and things of that nature, we were able to keep functioning. We're, we're still, you know, doors are open. We're, uh, 
we don't have our dining room open for safety of our special needs, but that's a, that's a whole nother little story in itself. Yeah. Wow. What a passion of yours and to help the community and so much to pour kind of everything that you have into this and to help so many other people with everything that you have. I'm inspired by that. I really love what you're doing over there. Thank you. Well, and that, you know, I guess the way we both look at it is it's not, none of it's ours anyway. Um, we're here temporary. Uh, you know, life is short. You know, there's, you know, we personally, we strive for an eternity with God. And, you know, we're given this life as kind of a, you know, one of the things I'm going through now, I just recently heard something that was really cool was that, you know, life is a test and it's a rehearsal. Uh, before the big production and you know we're here for 70 80 90 100 years I guess if you're lucky but it, it, it's a blink of an eye when you look at where do you plan on spending eternity so in thinking on it that nothing I have is truly because of my own doing um, it's all by the graces of God that uh, you know it was it was once I realized that it was a much easier decision in that look if, if this is gonna work God's gonna make it work um, None of it's mine anyway, so what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to love others. I'm supposed to help those who are less fortunate. Um, you know, so the only thing I, I, I hopefully can take credit for is trying to be obedient to what I've been called for and living for a purpose. Also that there were other people that bought in so quickly to what you were doing. A whole community, it sounds like a whole community really banded behind you. And that just shows the all the incredible people surrounding you, but also just how great you two are that you kind of gather those people and are able to build a community around you to start something that's doing so much good in your area. And I would say across probably the nation, just because it's inspiring others and showing people just what individuals with special needs are able to do. Yeah, because we have um, we have over 200 special needs adults on our wait list trying to get in for first as a volunteer position and then, you know, hopefully to move to employment. Um, but there are thousands of others that are in our, you know, in our county and then the surrounding counties that they're just sitting at home and they're not doing anything. Um, so we, of course, would love to be able to put them all on as a volunteer or a payroll, but you know, it's, it's going to take um, more than us to get that done. And if that's the way that God's will, you know, he sees it fit, then th that will be awesome. Um, but we also try to encourage Mike definitely likes to talk to people who have other businesses, you know, to let them know what kind of jobs that they could offer our special, our special needs adults, because there's many, many things they can do. But most of the time, people are just afraid of what they don't know, and they're just not willing to give them that chance. But we try to even educate other people. Of uh, You all are missing out on one of the greatest workforces that you will ever meet because they love to come to work. They take pride in what they do. Um, they get so excited when they do succeed in do some, doing something, if they learn something new. And whenever they can gather that paycheck every two weeks, Mm -hmm. um, they just absolutely love it. They just, um, it's amazing to them. And it, and it's, it's not that it's a lot of money. Some of them only get two and three hours a week. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it might be six or seven hours on a pay stub paycheck, 
but to them it's the world. And our tagline is everyone needs to be needed. And you know, if, if you if you knew you lost your job tomorrow and you had no reason to get up for the next three months, I mean, you know, that just does something to your spirit. So when you know that you're being needed, that someone needs you to come to work, somebody needs you to do this, we are depending upon you. I mean, that gives you a sense of purpose and a reason to get up in the morning. And so we try to, you know, instill that in them as well, that yes, they are needed. Your job is important. When you are not here, you are missed, but they don't miss very often. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, I have chatted with before the son and father at John's Crazy Socks. Yes. John has Down syndrome and he's just amazing. And I actually went to tour their facility in New York and cool. he was just talking about how, yeah, the his because they employ individuals with special needs as well. And he was talking about how they really never miss a day. And they, even when they're tired, they show up with this big smile on their face, ready to work super hard. Just a really persistent and dedicated and hardworking workforce. Right. And um, the, the exact number as of yesterday is 210 on the wait list. Um, we have 21 that are collecting a paycheck. It, it ebbs and flows, but um, and it's anywhere from two hours a week to full time work, 40 hours a week. But yeah, we uh, a lot of times folks will, will say, well, how do you do the interview process? Do you pick and choose? And, you know, we're first come, first serve. One of the things I do tell other people is that let's not look at, you know, the disa disability, not look at the disabled person. Let's look at what is the ability and then let's find where that fit is, um, regardless of what level, you know, there, there's something. It's, uh, it is fun to, as Tempa mentioned, to talk to businesses who tell me, well, I wish I could hire special needs, but I don't have any jobs. And, and I ask them, I said, well, tell me every single job that you do, don't leave out anything from the smallest detail of your daily functioning and day-to-day -day operations. And I will find you places where you'd be surprised if you start thinking outside the box, you know, where you can fit a special needs individual into your workforce. And, uh, you know, it, it, you see, like Tempa said, it's, you know, people will fear the unknown, but you kind of see maybe a light bulb go off or a, huh, I never thought of it that way. And, you know, that's pretty cool too, that I, I get to be a part of that, you know, because our bigger vision and, and where I believe we're headed is that our, our current facility would be production and training and then we would have little storefronts all around us in all the city centers and the special needs once, you know, trained and, and ready to go would go work closer to home and work inside their own home community and then partner up with the agencies near that home community, whether it's foster care, DFACs, food cooperatives, church programs, homeless shelters or what have you, so that being in the heart of their hometown, they're feeding out and helping others in their home area. And then that pretty much gets us a template. And you could take and pick that template up and take it to other counties, take it to other states, because there for a while we were getting at least 10 to 20 emails and calls a week, you know, saying, hey, come to Texas, open here. Hey, can you guys come to this state? We've even had other countries say, can you, 
can you do this? And it's not like we're doing anything really special, but it's, you know, we're just, I guess, doing the best we can with the tools that we've been given. And it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I would say you two are doing something really special over there. So I saw Michael, you're the CEO, and then Tempa, you're the financial secretary. I believe that's what I saw on the website. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we kind of laugh at that because it's, it's kind of like, it depends on what time you call and, and what's going on, which hat to turn around because, you know, I, I can be the janitor, I'm HR, AP, AR, uh, IT, uh, I get all the little letter designations. Tip is the creative one. She gets to do the cake decorating, but helping with, you know, doing recipes, working with the kids, uh, doing stuff like that. And then I kind of snag up the, uh, the ones who have an, uh, an aptitude for doing inventory control or database work or working with customer service, and doing the register and things like that. But uh, it just, uh, you know, we're both the co-founders. And then to slap an appropriate title on it, we just, you know, it's kind of like slash CEO. I guess I'm the chief executive officer. And then, hey, you got to have a, a financial secretary, so we'll give you that one, or bakery manager, who are you meeting with? Um, and then we do have a board of directors, of course, that actually uh, determined what, you know, that we would be paid employees. They determine our, our salary. They determine, you know, a lot of the things uh, above a certain level. We're given day-to-day -day operational freedom to certain points. Uh, but then again, to be properly governed and what have you, it is run by a board of directors. And presently we have uh, six, I believe it's six board of directors. As a matter of fact, our website's actually gotten better over the last two or three months because I have two, I have a couple of special needs folks have been helping me with uh, doing a lot of different things like uh, getting the web updated. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know that that's how in a nonprofit, the salaries are decided by the board of directors. Yes, that's true. Um, uh, we ha cannot have any say or any vote in what we are paid or if we are paid um, because that would be a conflict. Uh, if it were a, a typical business, if we were the owners of the business, of course, we could set our own salaries, set our own things of that nature. But in order for us to receive pay, it is a board decision. And, you know, that's how typically a nonprofit organization works is your, your executive directors, your people, even your co-founders. A co-founder may not actually be collecting a paycheck. Um, unless the board determines, you know what, we don't want to do it. You guys are all in head first doing everything day to day. So why shouldn't you be paid? I mean, I am managing the company, so I'm paid as a manager, you know, and it's, uh, it, it too has had its ups and downs. Um, we don't have a lot of, uh, at this point, we don't have a lot of benefits. There's no 401ks, there's no paid vacations, there's no, you know, PTO or, insurance or things of that nature, but we've been taken care of. God takes care of us. And when, when things happen, for example, I had an emergency procedure last year. Um, it's amazing how friends and, you know, even our board, you know, steps up and they, they try and take care of us. But yeah, that's, that's how a typical 501c3 nonprofit would work is, is people who are paid. I mean, we determine the employees and we're responsible for employees. 
but not for ourselves. But still, it's, you know, it's a money decision. And whenever we have our board meetings, you know, we have to, you know, say, well, we're wanting to put or move these people to payroll and, you know, we're needing to do this or we need this piece of equipment or, you know, so everything has to be that board decision. It also, it um, normally it takes anywhere from six months to a year to get a nonprofit status through the IRS because, I mean, you hate to say it, but in the world that we live in, people will abuse having a 501c3 nonprofit. People try to take advantage of it or they, they use it for the wrong reasons. And a lot of times people hear the word nonprofit and they think that we can just do things cheaper or give things away for free. <laughs> I mean, it's really weird how some people, you know, look at a nonprofit. And when you really get into it and research it and understand it, um, it, it is very interesting. And there's still so much that we don't know. We have definitely learned every day. You know, you learn something new. Um, and, you know, there's you can get free legal help, but you have to you have to abide by the pro bono stuff that they're doing. There's certain rules you even have to follow with them. There's certain guidelines you have to have in place. And it's it's been very interesting. Um, I'm thinking we could probably do consulting for other people to say, <laughs> hey, this is what you need to do to start a nonprofit. Not that we're looking to do that. It's just the information that you gain and learn. It's just, um, it's been pretty unbelievable. I do want to hear about kind of what does a typical day look like for the both of you? And then what are your employees doing? Well, each each day, um, just like anyone else, comes with its own challenges. You can, you know, get up, head in, and, you know, you've got your plan of attack for the day. And as soon as you get there, everything changes. Uh, a typical day for me um, depends on the day of the week. Tuesdays are always shopping day, you know, and, and every day I go through accounts payable, accounts receivable, you know, do we have any computer issues, everything from a business side, because even though it's a nonprofit, it's still a business. I mean, you still have, you know, we have a mortgage, we have insurance, we have utilities we have you know food costs with raw ingredients we have payroll um you know there's everything associated to running a business um i'm on the side of the you know the the business management side so my typical days i can't say i have a typical day it, it really does run the gamut because it depends on who shows up who doesn't show up to work just like any business, you have employees that may not show up or somebody's sick or, or something might happen. Now, for the most part, we don't have as much as, as most because typically special needs want to come to work even if they shouldn't be coming to work if they're ill. But uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to, to really say for me a typical day because I do a lot of computer work. I'm working with a lot of accounting. You know, I use QuickBooks Online. I have an inventory management system. Uh, we have a point of sale, we have an online store, um, and I pretty much handle that whole side and that whole aspect of all of that. Any correspondences with vendors, with um, customers, with, you know, just about anything having to do with making sure that uh, the cash flow, the, I deal with the banks and the, the board, um, keeping them up to speed on things, equipment repairs. So it's... Uh, I don't know that I've had a typical day. It's every day is a new experience and, 
you know, each day comes with its own challenges. Um, we've done, we've started doing like eBay store, Facebook marketplace because of COVID so that we could inject more funding into the programs. So I'm really tapped into a lot of different areas. That's where I said earlier, uh, I, I wear a lot of different hats. And then I'll let Temple talk about her, <laughs> her typical day. Um, when we first get there, and right now we're, we're getting there at about 20 minutes till nine. We used to get there a lot earlier than that. Um, I, I always look to see who I've got coming in that day. I ice cakes for each one of the um, employees or volunteers that come in because they each get to do a cake um, every week. And then we sell those cakes um, in the front of house bakery. So I ice those cakes. If there's any orders, I have to get those cakes iced. We have cupcake orders, so we need to make sure that those are going over to um, Courtney, our cupcake girl, and her brother also works there. He's there just three days a week. She's there five. We make sure that if there's baking that needs to be done, that Austin knows what he's doing, and he's getting his assistant bakers in line for the day and giving them their jobs. We make sure that, um, you know, that the dishes get started and because that's an all-day thing we have to look at the employees that are coming in and what jobs that they can do do we have any boxes to sticker are they going to be folding laundry um, is somebody going to be doing inventory are they going to be packaging food and then you also have to look at the day the next day ahead to see what's coming up you know if there's any phone calls that need to be made about a cake order that not quite understanding that we need to get clarification on so and again, any of that can change in a moment's notice. Like he said, if, you know, if somebody doesn't come in that day, well, can you move this person to that job? Can they do it? Or are you just going to have to step up and do three or four different jobs that day? Um, so it's, to me, I mean, I think my job is a lot less stressful than what his is. Way, way less stressful. Um, and I, that's why earlier I kind of chuckled when it said they've got me listed as financial um, <laughs> officer because I am not the money person. Um, I am not even <laughs> that great at math, so that's why we laugh at that. But also, you, when we said that we got our nonprofit status seven years ago, we didn't know very much seven years ago, and we had to have a title for each one of us. Mm -hmm. And we're like, oh, okay, well, let's just put these titles in. And we just haven't had the time to get those titles changed um, because I would just be listed as co-founder and cake decorator probably. But... Um, Every day is definitely different. Um, a lot of cleaning that goes on there, you know, and I tell people, if you have got time to lean, you've got time to clean because there is always something to clean in our bakery. Um, and when he was talking about the um, eBay store, we have started probably about a year ago, we um, started having people donate stuff to us because they're like, well, if you're a nonprofit, can you accept donations in? And we're like, yeah, there's certain things we don't take just because of, working with food but we will have a yard sale a couple of times a year and then some of the items that we get in are you know worth a little bit more money so we have a lady that does eBay for us and we have another lady that lists stuff on Facebook marketplace and so we try to sell stuff that way to interject money you know back into the nonprofit and I think since we've been doing all of that I mean he's gonna be better at numbers but I think we're almost at the like the ten thousand dollar mark with um, items that we have sold just that have come in on donation and $10,000 to a nonprofit is a lot of money. And you had, uh, 
asked about what the folks do. So they do, you probably heard throughout that whole process, uh, we have everything from people who will fold laundry, sticker boxes, wash dishes, decorate cakes, make batters, make icings, um, do inventory, make the cupcakes for the day, run cash register, help customers, do data entry, um, work on the website now, work on social media. One of our goals with the eBay and Facebook marketplace is to develop those skill sets for some of the special needs folks that may have an aptitude for that rather than maybe, you know, doing a cake mix or, or baking brownies or something like that. So, um, you know, cleaning, janitorial services, um, you know, sweeping, it, there's all different types of jobs every day. And each day we, we kind of cater to who's coming in and what their ability is. For example, most of my box folding is done on Friday because Anne Marie comes in and works for, I think, four hours and loves to fold boxes. So she's good at it. She likes it. We kind of save up and let her build us up over the weekend for the next week. You know, so different things like that. Yeah, you really can hire people on with all different abilities with having that many different options for everyone to fit in. Um, so yeah, you said that COVID has been a challenge. And obviously, I mean, it's been a challenge for a lot of people and just especially restaurants and bakeries and businesses, small businesses and things like that, just with people not being able to dine in and and lacking finances too. Do you want to talk a little bit about what the what COVID the COVID process has been like with the shutdowns and then how it affected you and where you're at now, however much you want to dive into that? Sure. Um, we were blessed to have a our annual gala the night before pretty much everything shut down. March 13th um, was our annual gala, and it was questionable whether we were even going to be able to have it. And our church that we had it at, which is our home church, they, uh, they said, oh, no, we're having the gala. And then once everything's cleaned up and we lock the doors, our church is closed until further notice. Um, but that gala was extremely successful. Um, more successful, actually, than the previous year when you look at just the numbers and things. And, um, you know, COVID hit hard because most, I'd say about 90% of our folks um, here in the state of Georgia, the governor stated that, you know, they had to shelter in place if you were medically fragile and this, that, and the other. So 90% of our people immediately had to shelter in place from March 14th until June 13th. And that meant they couldn't come to work. So we, uh, we thought we would have to shut our doors. But what we did was uh, my wife and I kept going in and we took, you know, took care of the orders that were already in place. Um, we immediately only had phone-in orders available. Um, we went to a skeleton crew of a couple of folks that were not medically fragile and could come to work, but they were more part-time. So I think we were only working half days. And then um, we have two banks, one, you know, our business banking partner and then our mortgage banking partner. And our business banking partner um, came to us and said, uh, hey, 
will help you through the application for the PPP money. And as a nonprofit, we might be able to get a forgiveness loan. So we worked through that process and were able to obtain funds that I was able to call all of our special needs employees who could not come to work. And basically, I put it to them as, hey, guys, I know you can't come to work, but you're on paid vacation. So they were able to be paid vacation through that whole shelter in place process. So some people actually made more money because they got paid as if they worked a full schedule and didn't miss an hour here or a day there. So that was kind of fun and a bright spot for them that they still got a paycheck because they couldn't go to their day programs. They couldn't do therapies. Um, they couldn't get out and go to their, their normal places, whether it's like, you know, hey, we play bingo on Wednesday nights. We go to dinner at this restaurant every Thursday. Their routines were completely shattered, just like millions of other people across the country. But with special needs individuals, repetition and routine is, is needed. Um, it, it's very critical. Uh, and then when they took work away, it's like, wow, there's nothing. So that first three months was, was challenging. But it did allow us to get a lot of different things done. Uh, we were able to get our systems in, in place and ready to move to a new point of sale system to poise us for the future. Um, I was able to work with a couple of our guys that uh, one of the gentlemen that we have working who uh, you wouldn't even categorize as special needs, but he is, he does have a diagnosis. Uh, he got our online store fully functional. And then we, we did a lot of other things. And then we eventually opened up to, you know, curbside type pickup with online orders, call in orders, you come in, you could still see the cupcakes and pick out what you wanted, but just no dining option. And that's where we are today is we're no dining option yet, but you know, it's been enhanced by the online system and then, uh, you know, some other restaurants getting back into the swing. But there's a lot of small businesses that unfortunately uh, have not made the cut, have not been able to weather the storm. Uh, we've been extremely blessed um, and we saw a lot of our recurring donors pick up um, with new donors. We got a couple of injections every now and then where all of a sudden, Somebody said, hey, I've been thinking about you all and want to support you. Um, we put a lot of our donor opportunities on our online store and that, that brought some income in. Um, sales, you know, pretty much tanked through front of house. But, uh, you know, we're still, um, we're still got the doors open and we still have a little bit of, a little bit of cash in the bank. Not much left. It's, it's dwindling down. But we're hoping that November, December, which are historically our largest selling months, will will pick back up with the holidays. We hope. Um, but it's uh, it has been a challenge, like like any other business. But uh, we just do the right things, uh, make the right choices, trying to be an example and a positive light for others. And um, we're we're still we're still kicking it every day. <laughs> I'm amazed by you too. Just all that you do with the fact that you said you're still struggling a little bit, but with the the government aid, you still gave it to, to the individuals with special needs, the employees. You gave them a paycheck even when you were struggling. And that just speaks volumes to who you two are and who you're 
organization is and all that you stand for in helping others. Well, thank you. Um, uh, to kind of play into that, during that time as well, just to make it even better, three of our volunteers, uh, once they did come back to work after June 13th, within three to four weeks, actually collected their very first paycheck uh, from us because once they came back to work, we're like, well, you didn't collect a paycheck while you were having to shelter in place because you were a volunteer, but how would you like to collect a paycheck now? And we did add three folks off the volunteer list onto paid staff because it's the right thing to do. The right thing to do. I love it. Thank you for all you do in the community. It's amazing to just hear about the story of how it started and all that you continue to do, even through the hard times of COVID. And I'm sure there's been a ton of other challenges throughout your journey of um, owning or not owning, but uh, being the founders of this organization and working with this. Um, so I do want to ask, you are located in Georgia. So obviously, I'm so sure so many listeners will want to stop in and get a treat, but that's not possible with not everyone being located in Georgia. So what are some ways that people that are not not in the area to shop, what are some ways that people can get involved and help your organization? Well, being a 501c3 nonprofit, donations are our lifeblood. Uh, if people want to support us, people want to get on board, recurring donors are amazing. Uh, to know that you've got that coming in each time. One-off donors are, are awesome. Uh, we receive, you know, whether it's, you know, $1 or, or $1,000, it all makes a difference. Because when what I look at is somebody says, well, I've only got $15. I wish I had more. And I immediately tell them, well, guess what? You just guaranteed a, a special needs is going to get two hours of pay. Uh, or, you know, you're going you're gonna to help us get two cakes out to kids who couldn't afford them. Um, so donations are always amazing for us uh, at any level. Um, that's one way through, you know, through our website, through our online store. Uh, I like to use some of the church things. There's, there's several ways you can give. You can mail us a check. You can <laughs> give online. You, you can, you know, go through Facebook. Facebook is amazing, actually, because Facebook is the one donation point to where there are no fees taken away. If someone donates 50 bucks through Facebook, we get 50 bucks. If it's donated through other sources, a lot of times there's fees involved. Uh, but that we also we're always in need of raw ingredients, you know, flour, sugar, peanut butter, vegetable oil. We take those types of things. Um, spreading the word. Uh, people, you know, we put a challenge out to our Facebook following and said, you know, look, uh, all nonprofits need help. Um, even a dollar a month, we have right at 17,000 followers. If everybody gave a dollar, that's $17,000 a month to support. And we'd love to be that nonprofit. But if not, find one in your local area. Um, another way that I think we would find beneficial is if they just look in their local communities and where can they find ways to help the special needs community um, get a sense of pride, get a sense of empowerment open up uh, different avenues for them. Um, but directly supporting us, uh, like us on Facebook, that just keeps increasing that, that following, that helps keep, get the word out, uh, it keeps help sharing the story, and you never know who might read something or see something and inspires them, 
to tap into what they've been God gifted with to do what they do. We get people a lot of times will say, how can I do one of these here? And the first question is, are you a baker? No. What are you good at and what do you love? What's your talent? Use that and just incorporate special needs. Um, anything else? Here? No, I can't really think of anything. Like he said, you know, it, any nonprofit out there is struggling right now. Yeah. And, you know, we, we just like everybody to be aware of that. There are so many that, that they do need, you know, your support. And that's where we said, you know, just look, look at your heart and what is your passion about? And, you know, who is someone that you would like to help? Like you said, we would love to be someone that you would like to help. But if, you know, if what we're doing doesn't inspire you, there's got to be something out there that does. And, you know, just to, just to do that small part, like you said, a dollar a month to a nonprofit may not seem like anything to you, but it does mean the world to oh, a nonprofit. Because if you had fifteen or twenty thousand people doing that one dollar a month, twenty thousand dollars a month to a nonprofit is just absolutely huge, um, and it would just help in so many ways. So just you know, we just want to be encouraging to um, just look at the nonprofits, look at the people in your area and in your community that need help. I love it. That's great advice for everyone to jump on board and help their organization that they're really passionate about and. I'd love if a bunch of people supported you too, because I personally love what you're doing. Um, and I wish I could hear a ton more about what you're doing. I just am fired up about your organization and all that you have to offer. But we've reached the end of our time. So with the end of the podcast questions, you both can give an answer. I guess if if it's the same answer, maybe you stick together, but you both can answer each of these. So what is the best or most recent book that you've read? I'll start. Um, the Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Uh, it's a 40-day journey in finding out what, what your purpose is uh, in the grand scheme of things. And I am doing um, a book called Lord, I Want to Know You by Kay Arthur. It's, um, it's been a very, a very good book. But I, I think I know for both of us, every day we read something out of the Bible, whether it's just a devotional or, you know, I do Jesus Calling. And so every day we, we read something out of the Bible. And who or what is illuminating or inspiring in your life right now? Um, I would have to say right now for me, I mean, it is our daughter and it is all of the parents out there that are dealing with trying to become teachers and just what they're dealing with every day. I, I cannot imagine if we were in that situation. So to me, that's very inspiring that whether you're a parent, a grandparent, a guardian, aunt, uncle, whoever it is that's stepping into the lives of those children and, you know, trying to be a teacher when you were not, didn't sign up to be a teacher. I guess my, uh, the, the recurring theme you're, you're kind of finding with me is, you know, what is something that is illuminating or inspiring me is the continued blessings from God and that standing firm in the faith and not, not really worrying about what tomorrow holds and uh, being given the blessings and the opportunity to be start, part of something so much bigger than I truly am. And uh, what is an organization that you each would like to illuminate? I would probably say the Southeast Gwinnett Food Cooperative in uh, Grayson slash Loganville, Georgia. 
Um, they, they serve a tremendous amount of families who uh, they see every week supporting them with food and assistance. I'd have to be the same on that one. They're pretty great people. Love it. And lastly, the big one, what is your one message to send to the world? Wow. I don't know. Right now, during this this time and this moment in time, I would be it, it, just be kind. I to me, it um, I, I really just cannot believe that I you know I grew up where if you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say anything <laughs> at all. And it's like I don't know how or when or why we got away from that. But you don't always have to share your opinion and just be nice to people because you never know what somebody is going through. You know, it, it just be kind to people. Wow. One message for the world. Man, I, I would say just that uh, the message I would have is that our lives are, are a temporary assignment and we need to stay focused on, you know, Christ and what he did for us so that we would be able to spend an eternity in heaven. And I hope that everyone, you know, has an opportunity to, to feel that, to be a part of that. Thank you, Michael and Tempa, for coming on the Illuminate podcast and sharing all about your organization and a little bit more about your story. And thank you all for listening to the Illuminate podcast this week, and I hope you enjoyed my conversation. If you want to find more out about Michael and Tempa as well as their organization, you can find their website at specialneedsandtreats.org. Find them on Facebook at Special Needs and Treats Incorporated and find them on Twitter at Special Needs One. All of that is needs as in K-N-E-A-D-S. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation this week. If you enjoyed this conversation, don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. We really appreciate when people leave reviews and help us grow the show. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Michael and Tempa this week, and it brought you a lot of joy and inspiration. 